0: It's been a good day. I hope it's been good for you as we've lifted up Christ in song and prayer, as we've come together to worship the Lord. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles, however form or fashion you have that in your hand or the Pew Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'll be reading the first 14 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 3. I invite you to follow along and listen carefully. Let's give attention to God's word together. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of the God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. May God add his blessing and help us to understand his word together today. And let's just ask God to do that in prayer together now. Lord God, you are speaking to us here today. You have spoken. Holy Spirit, would you continue to soften our hearts and open our ears to hear whatever we need to hear as a body, whatever we need to hear as a person, as individuals. Lord, do your great work through the power of your word, your unfailing word. We ask this in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen. When God speaks, we need to listen. Think about it, the power of God's word. Can you imagine nothing? Jonathan Edwards, a great American theologian, said, nothing is what rocks think about. Think about that. But God spoke, and out of nothing, everything that we now see and touch came into existence power of God's word. When God said he would make the Hebrew people a great nation and would give them a land and, and deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, he spoke that word and it all came true. That's a powerful word. God promised to bless Israel when they obeyed him, when they trusted in him, when they believed his promises to them and and he did bless them and when he promised that they would be disciplined and and scattered among the nations and troubled by the when they disobeyed and went their own way and sinned and, and did not listen to God and it all came true. That's a powerful word. When you can say something's going to happen and make sure it happens just as you said, that's the power of God and his word because they're one and the same. God spoke and promised to send a Savior, and he did. We've celebrated that today. Jesus came. He proved to be God's son. He spoke, and a raging storm stopped in an instant. He spoke, and five loaves and two fishes fed thousands. He spoke, and Lazarus came out of the tomb after four days being dead. (laughs) Lord, he stinketh. King James Version, yeah. He came out and he was alive and Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to choose to do that. And in three days I'll be raised again from the dead and it came true. The empty tomb proves it. The 500 witnesses proves it. Listen to what Isaiah said after he heard God's word. One of his responses in Isaiah 50. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. That's a word of hope. Are you weary today? A word of help. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. That's grace. <laughs> We're alive today by his Grace here today by his grace. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. That's believing and surrendering. So in 1 Samuel 3 today, we're going to take a look at God's word. Four scenes, four lessons of the power of his unfailing word. So let's listen together. Chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Scene one. The word of God was rare. Does that surprise you that God would be quiet? God makes his word rare when those who hear it and choose to ignore it and continue to ignore it. And when he speaks again and they ignore it again, when they choose to do that, after a while, God says, I'll give you what you want. You will not hear my voice. You will not hear about my grace or my direction. You will not have guidance. The spiritual leaders of Israel, Eli and his sons, were indifferent to God. The shepherds were bad and the sheep were being lost. They were spiraling down. They were politically weak. They were spiritually weak. It all tied together. And God said it would be so because they had turned away from him. You can read about it in the book of Judges. That, That lays out the whole. And that's when this era is at the end of that time period when people did their own thing and ignored God's word so God's word was rare. Proverbs 29, 18, those of you who are a little bit older would remember, without vision, the people, what? Perish. The NIV says where there is no revelation and the ESV says "Or prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. We go our own way. When God's word is rare, people perish eternally. In Romans chapter 10, I won't take time to turn there today, but Paul is writing there and he says, they can only believe when they hear the word of God and how are they going to hear unless someone goes and preaches the word of God to them, tells them the word of God. So people perish eternally. They're separated from God and they suffer eternally when God's word is not heard. We need to say it. In Exodus 32, what an example, right? That's the the golden calf. Israel was—they'd heard the word of God, but they forgot it in a few days because Moses was gone and Aaron, for some reason. I like to ask Aaron what was going on in his head, but you know, I'm I'm the same way. Sometimes it's like he made a calf, and they worshipped the calf, and they got in trouble. They—they lost restraint because they weren't considering or hearing the word of God. In Romans chapter one, there's all these attitudes and actions, and I'll I'll take a moment to read just one of them, but there's three of them in Romans chapter 1. If I can find my reference spot real quick. In Romans chapter 1, we read that people turned away from God. In verses 21 through 23, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And then here it is, verse 24, therefore God gave them over. And And it does that again in the following verses. In verse 25, they ignored God's truth, therefore God gave them over. When God's word is rare, people perish, people lose restraint. In Romans 1, it just gets darker and darker spiritually, and the truth gets hidden and muddled and muddied up. And finally, as God tells us in Amos chapter 8, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to south, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. God's word made scarce. Even if you wanted heavenly insights, you couldn't go to Shiloh when Eli and his sons were there, Hophni and Phineas, and hear a word from the Lord because they didn't care. And you know, right now, our world is looking for someone to save it. Or a system to save it. And we need heaven's help. But we're ignoring heaven's help. I think Chuck Swindoll years ago said it this way. We want God in this little bag, this sack that we can carry around. And when we need God's help, you know, we open up the sack and say, God, give me a little bit of blessing. You know, I need help. I need happiness. I'm sad. Help me out. And then we close up the bag until we need God again. We like to carry God around and control what he does. You know, it's like, bless me, make me happy, but don't ask me to give up too much of the earth's treasures and follow you and wait for heaven's treasures. We like to control God. We're afraid of God's light. I wasn't in ABF today. Sorry, David. (laughs) But it says this in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, that is me, but men love darkness instead of light because... Their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We're afraid of God's light because I don't want you to know what God knows about me. But anyone who dares to step into the light, the truth of God, and says, here I am, will be set free from the darkness and given life. Isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus' power of grace to help us overcome sins, downward effects. Jesus' presence. When we see him face to face, we just sung it. What a glorious day it's going to be when death is no more, when sin is no more. I can't wait. But in the meantime, let's remember that God's word is mighty and powerful and unfailing. And when he decides to make it rare because we're not listening, it'll have its effect But God's merciful and he's keeping his promise to Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he is going to send a a, a king. He's going to send a prophet by the name, and he has sent him already. He's here on the scene in Samuel so that he can lead the people, even though they're in the dark, to light. He's going to do the work. Second scene. Let's move on in 1 Samuel chapter 3 to verses 2 through 14. We learn in this section, in this second scene in this chapter, that God's word can be startling. God is removing the murky darkness of humanity's, or human darkness, with his pure light. And it's pictured by Eli. He's old, he can't see, and that's a picture for us. It's the old, it's the darkness. And it's being removed because suddenly God's beginning to speak and Samuel's one of those key players in God's work. Eli's old age and blindness symbolizes the era of spiritual weakness in Israel's history. It was night. It was dark. The lamp in the temple was still burning. And that gives us a little bit of hope. It really is a picture of God's presence that never goes away but no one was seeing it. But God's working and he's raising up people and and Hannah's prayer and desire for a son and, and committing him to the Lord is gonna bear fruit that she could never imagine and bring blessing to the nation like she could never think of. But here God is at working and it just reminds me how good God is. Do you think it's dark where you work in school where you go to school, in your neighborhood. The light is still burning. The word of God is still powerful. So God's beginning to remove the murk, the mud, (laughs) breaking open so light can pour in, opening the door. Samuel's call is so endearing. I mean, three times he runs to Eli now, how old is he? We know he was like four or five, maybe when, when Hannah dropped him off, maybe as young as three, so maybe he's eight now, maybe 10, maybe 12, we, we don't know. But he's ready to serve. He had a servant's heart. He's a young boy in the middle of the night, ready to get up and serve this old gentleman, this, this priest, this man of God who wasn't much of a man of God. But here he is just serving and he says, here I am, that Hebrew word, hinnomani, excuse me, common expression. But it has this subtle meaning of a servant who's ready to hear and obey. And, and Samuel does it three times. Same word, here I am, that Abraham used when God called out to him to sacrifice Isaac. The same, same word Moses used at the burning bush even though he argued a little bit with God about it, always he said, Here I am. Same word Isaiah said when he had a vision of God in Isaiah 6 Here I am, send me. Samuel's in great company here. Can I just say, Are you in great company too? Has God called your name? Is he calling it again today to do something else besides believe and have your sins forgiven? Is he calling you to go out and serve? Are you ready to go in the middle of the night to do it? The word of the Lord had not been revealed to Samuel yet, we read in verse 7. I guess Eli had something to do with that. But the Lord was at work, and he called Samuel. And Eli finally realized it was God. I love verse 10. You know, it took me years to see this. This wasn't just some voice, God speaking. You see verse 10, it says, the Lord came and stood there. It's a neat picture, isn't it? God coming to this young person standing there and speaking to him. The first of many times that Samuel would hear his voice and say his word again and again. Jesus said, My sheep will hear my voice and I know them. And can I say by name? And they will follow me. Again, I ask Is Jesus calling your name in some form or fashion today? And are you listening? You have everything to gain by following him and everything to lose if you ignore his voice. So Samuel's calls like so endearing. I mean, this is like a cool little scene, this young boy just surrendering his life and his service to God. But I tell you what, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> because God's startling word is sobering. This beautiful scene it's turned into very sadness because God says in verse 11, I'm about to do everything that I promised I would do to Eli and his family. And and the man of God in chapter two, verses 27 through 36, if you want to look back there, explain what was going to happen. And God says, I'm about to do it all. And everybody who hears about it, their ears are going to tingle. That word tingle only used two other times in scripture And it's always in in view of, of judgment. God's going to do something very harsh. God swore in verse 14, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Think about that. There's nothing that's going to atone for this sin. How could God say that? I thought He could forgive anything. Well, there's a moment in time when it's too late. And God has decided in Eli's family's case that it's too late that they have rejected His word. The ark's door is being shut. It's too late to believe Noah's words. It's too late to believe the angel's word or Lot's word in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's too late for Eli and his sons. The judgment is coming. That's startling. God had warned them so many times, and they had ignored it so many times, and now they would pay the wages for their own sins by their own lives. For the wages of sin is death. So not only physically, but it's picturing a spiritual reality as well. If I reject Jesus Christ as Savior, if I refuse to believe that I am a sinner and need his grace to take away my sins that only he can, if I refuse that, then I will have to pay for it myself. I will, with my own life to pay for my own sin. But you know, God's grace is so good. Old Testament and New Testament. I can't do enough, I can't do enough good things to remove my sin, so I can be made righteous by simply believing. Ezekiel says it, therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the Lord. Repent, <laughs> here's grace, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart. How do you get a new heart? By turning to God, by believing. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone," declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. In Second Corinthians, chapter five, great chapter, we're just reminded: God made Him, that is Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him, by believing in Him, we might have become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus said a lot of shocking things. You know, in John 3, 16, we love that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But Jesus also, a little bit later, draws a line in the sand in John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, in verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We're in a place of wrath, and God's willing to move us to a place of blessing when we believe. But if we refuse to believe, then we remain in his wrath. That's shocking. That's startling. In John chapter 4, Jesus talked about the fields being ripe, white for harvest. Again, I just challenge you, do you think the fields are ripe Harvest. And why do you doubt when Jesus says they are? In John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus didn't give an invitation to come. You know what's shocking? He gave an invitation to leave. Looked at his 12 disciples and said, Do you want to leave too? Does that shock you that Jesus would say, You can leave if you want to. Not one of these come, but go if you must. God gives us this story in Samuel, this scene, just to remind us that his voice is there calling us. And if we refuse it, there will be judgment and it's going to be startling. It's going to make our ears tingle and we're going to get shivers up our spines when we think about the judgment that's coming. And it should move us to not only a pathway of belief, but it should move us to a pathway of wanting to serve and bring light into the darkness that's so dark, that's overwhelming us, that's overcoming us. And by the power of God's grace and goodness, move forward with the gospel and truth of God. Scene three. Verses 15 through 18 in 1 Samuel, God's word is sovereign and it never, ever fails. After God had explained to Samuel kind of a baptism by fire, (laughs) he has his first sermon that Samuel gets to preach. I mean, this is the first word of God that Samuel heard. And what was it? Judgment. All that I said, all these bad things, death and destruction on the family, and a bad, weak family line that's never going to really have the blessing of God again because of their disobedience. Samuel, that's what you need to tell Eli. Well, isn't that a great sermon to preach the first time? As a young boy, think about it. This man you kind of love and respect that you've been working with in the temple, you're going to pronounce Judgment on him? What a baptism by fire. So what does Samuel do in verse 15? Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. I can see me doing that, avoiding bumping into Eli. You know, you hear him shuffling down the hallway and you run down this way to do that chore. Maybe it's out of order, but you just avoid the situation because it's bad news. Avoiding the uncomfortable situation as long as possible. It's like not going to the doctor because you know you're sick, but you don't want to hear the bad news. You know the tooth needs to be pulled, but you don't want to go to the dentist. Because, well, most of us don't like dentist visits. But Eli knew he needed to hear God's truth. He wanted to hear God's truth. So he made Samuel say an oath. You know, it's going to happen to you. All that God said is going to happen to you, so you better tell me. So Samuel tells him everything. Do you feel pressure to withhold God's word, the truth of God, from people who need to hear it? Because they don't really want to hear it, but they need to hear it. Our culture is telling us that it's a private matter, that it can't be talked about in the marketplace. Well, just pretend you're in China. You can still do the work. You can still preach the gospel, live the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and have impact in our culture. Even if they say, don't say it, we can still say it because God wants us to. We just need to learn to be wise as serpent, as gentle as doves, as gentle as doves, in the way we proclaim the news of God. You know, it's difficult navigating what to say, when to say it, how to say it. But we got to say it because it's the only gospel. Jesus' gospel is the only good news that saves. There's no other savior that can take away sin. There's, truth is narrow. Truth isn't just, well, whatever. It's This is true. This is not true. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul gives us some incredible advice. Devote yourselves to prayer about sharing the gospel, about harvesting. Being watchful and thankful and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am chained in, in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. That's what I need. I need help proclaiming it clearly. How about you? Proclaiming it well. Proclaiming it in little snips or here or there so that people get hungry for it and ask questions. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Don't be, you know, one of these pounding people... Be wise. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I have this book called God's God Space. There's a lot of good books, but I say the book's worth the price for the 99 I wonder questions, just the way to open up conversations. I wonder why you are so, like, it sounds like you're, did you have a bad experience with religion When you were young, I wonder what happened. Was there something that happened? Just all kinds of questions to help you converse. Eli humbly accepts God's word to him. What was it he said to you in verse 17, Eli Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me everything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And notice Eli's response. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Talk about this with your friends today. Do you think Eli got saved? if I wanna use those terms. Was there a recognition here of God's power and might and a surrender to God's will? That he knew he deserved judgment, he and his household, and he knew that it would be good for the nation, for them to be cleansed, for this judgment to come because it could move Israel on to better and holier and believing in their God again? Wish there would've been a Psalm 51 thing, like David said, I'm a sinner. My sin's ever before you. I don't know. What do you think? When God disciplines us, it's not only for our good, but it's for the nation's good. Scene four, verse 19. Then the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, in other words, from north to south, recognized that Samuel was attested, proven to be a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. This narrative can really be negative, but it's just the way it is. Circumstances make it a downer. God's word is rarely heard. And when it is heard, it's ignored. That's negative. The narrative, when God did speak, excuse me, it was doom and gloom. That's negative. God's word was settled. There was no opportunity for Eli's family to repent because they refused. Their hearts were hard and God gave them over. Heaven's justice was going to be poured out. It was true justice. It was pure justice. It was fair. And that's very negative. You know what's really positive about it all? (laughs) The old was giving way to the new. The spiritual darkness was being broken into by God's grace, by his light. There was cleansing of sin going on, and because of that cleansing, many people would come to God in faith and belief, and and David would be anointed king, and he's foreshadowing the true king, Jesus Christ. All these good things were happening. God was at work. He was not abandoning his people. That's positive, and that should make us our ears tingle too because God's at work. Do you believe God's at work here? in our community does God want to work through us do you believe that can he could he would he are we worthy enough no but he will if we ask if we're ready to listen we celebrated Christ's death for us today just remember the days were really dark For the disciples, when Jesus was on trial and suffering and being crucified, but three days later it all changed, the story changed, and God's willing servants, they're the ones who bring blessing and enjoy the blessings. Eli and his sons, God was working through them to to bring his light, but they weren't going to share in the blessings, they were sharing in God's wrath. They aimed for worldly riches and they got them and they lost their souls. And Samuel spoke and his words did not fall to the ground because they were God's word, his unfailing word. He obeyed it and spoke God's truth. He knew the Lord's voice. God's words unfailing and powerful. Forgiveness can be had if you will believe it today. After darkness, there's a great need for light. Aren't you glad it's February? Punxsutawney Phil says that there's springs on its way. Earlier than usual. We need the light of God's word. Your neighbors need the light of God's word, God's truth. He wants to give it to people. They just need someone to speak it, to show it, to be an example. So the word of God. And just a reminder, God's still calling servants by name. Did you hear God's voice today in something What's he saying? And will you obey? Let's pray together. Lord God, make our hearts tender, tender like Samuel's, to be able to hear your voice and to say, here I am. Send me. Tell me what I need to say. Lord, I will obey. Oh Lord, help us to be more like that for the sake of your name's glory, for the well-being of people we know and love. Lord, be pleased to use us. Bring your light into our lives and let it shine out through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.